Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is my 300th interview, and I'm pretty thrilled to say that we've got George Strombolopoulos with us here. I was going to say tonight. Wouldn't that be great if it was a live uh, live show? Uh, but, but we're not live, so uh, live to tape. So, you know, that's it's the next best thing, really, isn't it? Anyway, so so thrilled to have George with us. We, we covered a whole a lot of ground. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. We talked about radio and his love for music. We talked about media and celebrity, and of course, of course, course we talked about you too in fact uh, i think we're both kind of uh, i might go out on a limb and say we're both nerdy fans of of one kind or another we talked about rebellion and bob dylan we talked about political influence and we we talked about dave farkas you got it you got to hear about dave we, we we talked about something called earned fear uh, we talked about being tired and, and, and being exhausted and about being exposed to others and to the outside world and loyalty and service and love and gratitude. I mean, come on. I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground. And because this was my 300th interview, it's it's a little longer than most. I, I, I thought about uh, breaking it down into two parts, but uh, George was gracious enough to say that uh, he'd join me for a part two down the road. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. I, I hope you stay tuned and, and check out uh, George. He's, he's on online and of course the Strombo show from 8 to 11 on Sunday nights on CBC Radio 2 uh, and don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my podcasting my speaking my writing and rebel.ca you'll uh, pick up a, a slew of my other interviews there and uh, a whole lot of other material going on as well so coming right up uh, stay tuned don't touch that dial uh, George Strombolopoulos coming right up all right, welcome to another edition of Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today, and I know that I often say that, but today is very with a capital V. George Strombolopoulos is here today. My man. Hey, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining oh, us here at the me? Center for Social Innovation. How appropriate is that? I'm happy to be here, man. You took me to see Bob Dylan when I was a teenager. I, I, how many years ago was that? Dude, I was a teenager. It was a long time ago. I'll, so, I'll tell you what, I remember that we were driving home. You dropped me off at my mom's house after that Dylan show, and in the driveway, we stopped and we listened to the radio because it was the first time that they were playing Guns N' Roses in the car. So that's when that was. Wow. And they were debuting, it was Welcome to the Jungle. Nice. It was played on the radio. It gets worse every day. Yeah, it's right. It's right. How appropriate. How appropriate. He was right. He was <laughs> absolutely right. Um, so yeah, it's been a long time, but nice to see you. Yeah, who knew that Axl Rose would be such a yeah. political commentator that's right. in the long run. Wow, that's crazy. So that would have been, uh, that would have been 80s, 80, 81? No, that would be 86, 86, 87, okay. around then. A little yeah. later. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Good memory. Did, I think we might have went twice, actually. Yes. Right? To, yeah. We saw him at the X as well, maybe? Yeah, the X, that's, that's the X we saw him as well, yeah. Yeah, you know. and the gardens. Do you remember the garden? Did we see him at the gardens? I saw him at the gardens as well, yes. Yeah, crazy, yeah. the smoke-filled gardens. I loved it. I loved wow, it. Wow, that's amazing. I still wow, remember seeing good Metall- memory. seeing Metallica at the gardens when I was a teenager. That was like the best moment of my life. Wow, man. it's amazing. Oh. So, you know what? We started... Yeah. Uh, 
a question I do want to get to. I'd love to just hang out and reminisce, but I think in about three minutes, all of the listeners <laughs> would shut this off. But uh, that, that could be a whole other podcast. For sure. Uh, anyway, thanks for, for, for hanging out. And, and congratulations, period, on just pretty much everything. Oh, thank you, man. Thank it's you, crazy. Man. I've had a very, like the, the very lucky run. Yeah, a, hu a huge run, capital R, in, 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 in every way. Thank you, it's, man. Uh, yeah, it's really amazing. Um, why the passion for music? What, so, so Bob Dylan was, was, was pre-CFNY days. Yes, you way were, before. You were a couple years away. Yeah. Um, clearly, there's been this seed forever right here yeah. uh, that's been, that was planted somewhere along the way. I think I remember... Was it those piccolo lessons in grade four? It could be. Imagine that those didn't happen until I was 13. <laughs> um, I think, you know, before I met you in, in Malton, I was living in Jane and Wilson, Jane and Finch, and Rexdale area, right? And Rexdale was where it hit me. I remember um, hearing songs that spoke to me, and I knew what they were too, right? And what they all represented to me was rebellion. Hmm. That's it. Everything in me, hmm. this is, and I've put the years of work into not just be about this, but everything to me as a kid was rebellion. So, and to be tougher than I was, so I equated tougher with safer. Right. Yep. So I saw the music that the that the older guys were listening to, and I have never been interested in the music of my generation, not until like the early '90s. You know, even that the, the metal and rock thing came a little bit later. Metallica was the start where it felt like my band, oh, and okay. I was okay yeah. with it. Um, but everything else I was listening to before that, Maiden or you know Zeppelin, were all like even though Zeppelin were still alive and playing music. They were from a different generation. The Beatles were from a different, and Elvis, right? Um, Metallica was the starting music from my generation, and it was a real defiant moment. It was, nobody wants to listen to this, mm. so I'll listen so to I'll it. So I'll listen to it. You know, and I think it was my way of maybe forging identity. I, maybe my way of, like I said, feeling tougher and feeling older. Escape is what I wanted. I wanted to get well, out of my life, yeah. right? And, that, and this was a way. You say rebellion. Uh, maturity? Was there, a, was there a degree of maturity to some of the writing, some of the lyrics maybe? That, I mean, come on. You're a Bob Dylan fan at what, yes. 11? Yes, that's For true. crying out loud. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, that, that was the influence of, you know, guys like you and my uncle and this guy called Lon um, in the neighborhood who ended up marrying my mother. Uh, thankfully, he's a wonderful man. And, you know, it was these older guys were talking about Dylan. And Dylan was political, and I think that's mm. what really worked for me, mm. right? It was very early on. And my uncle Paul used to read the newspaper, and I sort of I emulated him the most, and I think to a degree I still do. And I used to watch him read the newspaper every day, uh, certainly every Saturday, because that's a lot of times when I was there. And then he would hand me a section. And sometimes he wouldn't hand me the sports section, he would hand me something else. I right. almost never read the entertainment section. Right. Wasn't about that. I would read it, he would read it, and then we would talk it about it. It clearly wasn't the fashion section. Sure either. wasn't that, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Noted <laughs> by many over time. Um, so, so I think music to me was tied to politics as well very hmm. early hmm. and tied to change. I think that's why I really like punk rock and that's why I really like metal. Metal was more about, and I've thought about this more over the years, punk rock was about outward change and metal was about inward change. You know, metal was when you just didn't, you didn't fit in. Mm. Like I didn't mm. feel like I did. So if you don't fit in, where you, you have to find your tribe. Yep. But what if your tribe doesn't want you to be one of them but wants you to be your own version of it? Right. That's what I liked about metal. The pop world created too many robots for me, and that's how I perceived it. Sure, yeah. Metal didn't do that, right? Even though in hindsight we all wore the uniform, we all did the thing, but it still felt like you know you were in your own head. And then the, the mix of heavy music and punk rock was, was, was alchemy for me because mm. I was like, oh shit, mm. you can be angry for a good reason. Right, right. right? And I, it helped me transfer a lot of this focus on myself away. The least interesting thing about my life is me. And the least interesting thing about my experience is my worldview. I don't, like, and I know I haven't, I'm like, a, I'm a human like anybody who has points of view and shares it, but in those quieter moments at night, I think, who, well, I don't care what I think. Like, who cares what I think? It's just taste. If we're making a show, I have opinions, I have, you know, I take guidance, I give guidance, and in the end you have to make a choice. Yep. That's the only reason to really lay your opinion out, you have to make a choice, or for good conversation. But really, I don't really care what, I'm 44 years old, what, what the hell do I know? Like, what do I know? You know, I, I only have my experience, that's however wide it is, um, it's not the widest in the world, so I can only process things through this worldview. Through these lenses. Yeah, and I don't want, like, that's not that interesting to me. I'm interested in other people's lenses, right? So 
that's kind of and music to me was that, right? Music to me was seeing the world through other people's points of view. It's beautiful. The other people's lenses is a nice little, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it eventually, but I mean, how many how many interviews have you done over the years? Thousands. I mean, ten, 10 years yeah. in the hour. I mean, every night. Yeah, I've been doing interviews for 25 years almost now. It really yeah, started... Back, it, back to much days? Yeah, even before that. In 1995, when I got, I was working at the fan in 93, um, but 94, 5 is when I started doing interviews. So I, it was interviewing athletes and musicians and... I mean, that's a long time mm-hmm. to be in the heads mm-hmm. of others. The matter, that's why I think I don't need therapy because <laughs> I've done 20 plus years in the heads of others. Well, isn't, uh, isn't good conversation, isn't authentic dialogue therapy if or you, therapeutic at if, least? If you listen. If you, you listen. If you listen. Nice. That's the key. People talk but almost never hear what's going on. And, and, I, and again, like I said, doing these interviews, my job was to listen. I wasn't the kind of talk show host that did the talking. Right. I did a lot of listening, right. Right. Um, and I had employed different techniques, either on purpose or by fluke, to to get an, a, a, a hopefully an authentic answer. Um, and you you hit on it. The word authentic is the most important thing. If you're not living your authentic life, eh, I'm not that interested. Yeah, you're playing yeah. somebody else's game. You're playing the game. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. Right? Yeah. Um, we're back to the robots and the pop thing. Yeah, totally. And not that pop is like that because yeah, it's yeah, incredible yeah, yeah. pop music. But when I was a kid, that's how I perceived it. Sure. Right. Yep. Because the lyrics weren't about anything. Right. Like, I know how important love songs are. They generally bore me. Mm-hmm. I know how important breakup songs are. They generally bore me. Some of my favorite songs, like my favorite love song of all time is Whole Lot of Love. That's the best love song. <laughs> my favorite song about a woman ever is Whole Lot of Rosie by ACDC. That's you know? hilarious. Positive yeah. body images from the yeah. very beginning. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah. So yeah. I, the, because maybe I'm just, maybe it's because of how we were raised and where, and where we were raised and all that. But what was me? is the worst. Somebody's like, oh, my life. Right. Okay, listen, if you have a chemical situation where we're dealing with real mental health issues, I'm on your side. Right. I'm talking about just like having a bad day. You know, the, and, and write, writing like that emo era of music wasn't for me, right? And so I, I wanted people to show me, hey, there's a whole world out here which is what you did, which is what music did, which is what my uncle did, which is what my mom did, right? There's a whole world out here, and it's a better world when you're out there. Were you, were you, were you an angry teenager? I mean, you talked a little bit about anger. I mean, rebellion, to me, rebellion yeah. is Duke's up, I'm going to yeah. take you down, get out of my way. Yeah, I wasn't strong know. enough to fight. That's the problem. I would do hmm. that, and I would just get beat up. Right. So I had to, <laughs> too. Yeah, so I had to learn to be, well, you had height on your side. I had least, height. You know, yeah, you got reach. And John Drazina. Yeah, it was tough. He was a tough guy. Dave yeah. Farkas was our guy. Dave Farkas. <laughs> I watched him knock a guy's lights out um, in, in grade school. And it was the first time I ever saw a guy's eyes roll in the back of his head. And I remember, and the guy he knocked out was a bad dude. He was making fun, he was making fun right. of us, the younger kids. Yeah. So he was, he was being a real, not making fun, he was like tormenting the younger kids in the school, Our Lady of the Airways, right by the church. How and appropriate. The, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I watched this dude, Dave, knock his light, he knocked him so hard, his braces popped through his lip and the guy's eyes rolled back. Ooh, and I remember thinking. That hurt. Yeah, but I thought, justice. Right, right, interesting. Justice. Interesting. So you're not a pacifist. God, no. <laughs> no, I actually think part of the problem in this world, and I've read that other people write this too, is that nobody knows how to handle a bully anymore mm. because everybody's mm. softened up big time. I don't advocate violence, I'm not that guy. I'm not a war, a war guy, but I'm not a pacifist because somebody needed to knock that guy out because that guy would have gone on tormented a whole bunch of other kids and who knows what he would have driven us to do, right? You know what we do? After that day, we never saw him again. Right. We never right. saw him again. He right. was from another school. Dave Farkas. Dave Farkas saved That's something lives. you should put on your CV, really. <laughs> Dave saved my life. He yeah. should, yeah. Knock the guy's lights out. <laughs> June 6th, 1982. I totally. <laughs> it would have been about there. Yeah, it would have been about there. I was in grade five. So are, yeah. you a, are you a hope so pacifist? I mean, you're a guy that's about dialogue. You're yeah, about yeah. relationships. You're about, I mean, we're going to talk about your radio show, about the community you're creating at your house and, and on air. I hate you conflict. must be a diplomat I to am. some degree. I hate conflict. And part of the reason I hate conflict is because I'm good at it. I hate conflict. Um, when I think I do have, I don't have anger anymore the same way. I have anger now. I have that righteous anger, which is, and it is righteous anger when it's about, Government's oppressing people. Mm-hmm. It's about you know the stripping back of rights. It's about poverty in parts of the world where poverty is not necessary. It's not. It's not necessary. It's intrinsic it's good, because we did it. The Western world created it. Because and I know that. Wait, 
I mean, I don't identify, I identify as a kid of immigrants, right? I identify as that immigrant childhood. That's the childhood I had. And we grew up in a neighborhood of immigrants. And so I'm thankful that this country exists and allowed us to be who we were and never lose our ethnicity. And I'm an ethnic in my mind. Never lose any of that. I'm thankful for it. But I do recognize that I, I grew up in the glory of a great country mm. that allowed us to. And so by luck of birth, you know, because my grandmother chose to come here as opposed right. to somewhere right. else and they let yeah. her in, yeah. like there's no reason for arrogance there, right? Yeah. I'm not yeah. proud exactly. to be Canadian. I didn't create this country. I got lucky. Right. Um, and so I, so my anger now is towards the people who prevent others from having a harmonious life, for sure. I don't have anger towards anything else, really. I have frustrations and all that other stuff. You know, I was really pissed off when the Habs traded P.K. Subban. <laughs> I get really angry when I watch hockey, for sure. <laughs> I, I get mad at refs a lot, but you know, even that's sort of changing over time. Yeah. I, but when I was younger, I didn't know what my anger was about. You know, but I think it was defensive. I think anger is a, is a real survival skill. And I think you well, have anger. And coming to terms with it, to some degree, it seems to me, is, is about, about hopefully creating an identity. I mean, yes. isn't it really about freedom, choice, and responsibility? I mean, I'm hearing that the yes. whole way through. And yeah. I mean, hasn't that been a theme with your interviews over the years, yeah. the people that you've interviewed on, on the shows uh, and, and the stories? I mean, you're, you're digging into people's stories. Yeah, I want to show you something. I, I, yeah, I, I tweeted this yesterday because actually, I think it was tweeted by. Um, let me just scroll down here. It was tweeted by Banksy, you know, the great artist. And it says, you know, Eleuther Romania, an in intent and irresistible desire for freedom. Mm. And he tweeted, self-diagnosed. Mm. That's what it is. Mm. Freedom mm. to me. But freedom isn't do what you want at the expense of others. Well, it's personal freedom, freedom of expression, yeah. right? Yeah. You've got... And it's about being free. I don't want shackles on me. Right. My mom yeah. used to always say there's freedom in chains, and I used yeah. to think, no, yeah. there's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want yeah. chains. Yeah. I want freedom. Isn't that, that's Rousseau, isn't it? Man is born free, but man is born free, but everywhere in chains. Everywhere in chains, yeah. yeah. I don't want yeah. those. I know I have yeah. them. No, I'm not crazy about chains either. <laughs> and I refuse Maybe to. Maybe one's made out of chocolate? Yes, those are fine. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I, so I've always been like, very early on, I'm lucky that I wasn't strong as a kid. Hmm. Because if I was strong, I would have been probably arrested for fights. You'd be in jail right yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. Because, because you know... <laughs> we would be doing this interview no, in cell block that's, B. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully I'd have been out for good behavior. But I think growing up as a kid, being afraid... Here's what it is, David. Every day I would walk to school from... I lived on a street called Sills in Malton. And I would walk from Sills to my high school, Ascension. Every single day I walked. If we walked past the street and there was a couple other boys on the other side of the street... My fear receptors went crazy because often there's a fight because mm. boys would just taunt boys and pick fights. When I lived in Rexdale, I would walk from behind the Rexdale Plaza. I walk up down Islington and around the corner. And this is like grade one. I was walking to school mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you'd be walking in Rexdale towards the school I went to at the time, which I think was called St. Stephen's. So at a very, very young age, fear was present, mm -hmm. but it was fear connected to survival. Right. It wasn't fear connected to how I felt. It right. was shit, am I going to die? Right. Not that any of those kids, I didn't know if they're gonna kill me, right. but there have been many a day where I'd be walking and suddenly I'd have to run because somebody would chase me. I was so thankful, I am so thankful. I tried to explain this to my mom a little while back and she didn't really take it the way I meant. Funny. I'm so thankful that I was raised in an environment where I was, because my home was filled with love. Our church was filled with love and community. So I had lots of love and community, mm -hmm. but, but every time I stepped out of that house, you know, you could lose a tooth. So I... It's a funny line. Yeah. I remember having my nose cracked. I was getting kicked in the face. Like, I, So all that fear processing early on has put me in a position where I have none now. Mm. Like, I have no... Mm. Nice. I had a guy pull a gun on me in Toronto not that while back, and I just wow. kind of went, oh, shit, here we go. And I did what I had to do to deal with wow. it. So okay. when, when real fear hits me now, I had the Janjaweed in Sudan. The last time I was mm -hmm. scared was when the Janjaweed were circling me, dreading to take me down. And I remember thinking, woo, yeah. now I'm scared. But I yeah. thought, it's a different kind of fear, too. Different kind been, of fear. I haven't been quite in that situation, but I've been in some pretty weird situations over the years. Yeah, and so it's, you feel it's it. a different fear. It's a, I think it's a fear for others, it's a fear yeah. for family, it's a fear for what's next. Yeah, it's not just, I'm going to lose my life, right. or potentially. There, there's something else going on. But it's interesting when you, in your head, like when I get scared in the real world, 
certainly now, not always do I think, oh, I'm gonna die. I don't think right, that. Right, right. But when I was in Darfur, when that was going down, I thought, woo, this is like, I'm gonna die. Yeah, I'm yeah. at the die. I'm at the die threshold. Yeah, yeah, And then sure. I thought, this is earned fear. I've earned this fear, right? <laughs> this isn't funny. soft fear. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody speak of earned fear Yeah, not earned fear. That's I'm okay with earned fear. Yeah, I think we need to do some research on that, George. That's, so uh, it's yeah, like, it's good. okay to be afraid yeah. when that happens. So how come you're not deeply cynical, man? How come you're not deeply cynical? You, I, I don't, I don't get a, any uh, edge from you on that. I mean, you've, you know, the experiences, the, the, the cynical music, maybe, maybe yeah. you don't see it as cynical. Maybe it's ultimately, you know, you talked about change and rebellion. Yeah, it's the music news. was a way to change, right? It's the news. Music's the news, man. Yeah, I mean, some people would look at Bob and go, uh, Dylan, and go, oh wow, really negative. Yeah. And, but no, I never, I never saw Dylan as negative. I always saw it as a real challenge. People think George Carlin at the end was cynical. I'm like, he's not cynical. He's a god. Mm. Carlin's like, I'm not cynical. I got too much. I have too much joy in my heart for that. Too much joy in my heart, and I, I'm not in control of the joy. I was lucky enough to have it. I feed it for sure. I, when I struggle with the things that people struggle with, when depression hits or whatever else hits in your life, happy days, sad days, I just remind myself, and it's the power of words. Mm. Like I really mm. believe mm. in fueling my subconscious with powerful stuff, and I just say out loud, love and gratitude, love and gratitude. Mm. If the more you say that, the more you believe it. Right, right. And well, it's a form of meditation. And totally. do you do yoga? I started to do a bit of yoga, but I'm not very good at it. So, yeah. you know, what I started to do was this, this chick that I used to hang around with, um, a really, really awesome woman, um, gave me a book a long time ago called Dharma Punks by Noah Levine. I didn't read it right away. No, it's not true. I read it, mm -hmm. but I, did, I read it only as because we were talking about maybe turning it into a project. Mm. Um, but then I read it again. And then when I went to LA, I realized he was doing a class there. It's, it's a Buddhist class. Mm -hmm. And I went to it. And I was like, oh yeah, oh I get it. This guy is, it's as if he's written in a script for guys like me. He covered in tattoos, hardcore punk rock, right. junky background, who's on the middle path now, wrote this book, and the class was filled, filled with men and women from all walks of life, but a lot of guys like me. A lot of guys who are just a little bit edgier, even in their head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You see dudes who show up to that class and they've got the plastic bag that they were given when they just got out of prison today, mm -hmm. and this is their path to recovery. So for him, a lot of it, for a lot of the people who go there, there's recovery. Um, and I'm not a Buddhist, but I really dig what he's doing. Right. And yeah. so there's a couple things that were said in those classes, that in those sessions that really stick with me, which is uh, somebody asked him, when you get angry in a car if somebody cuts you off, it's okay to let off some steam. And the guy said, well, no. He said, neurons that fire together, wire together. It's basic neuroscience. And that really spoke to me and I went, right, right. So I can't even, however I want my life to be, I have to be in a state of practice all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't drink anymore, I don't do drugs, I don't eat meat, I don't eat dairy, I don't drink energy drinks. So I've, there's a lot of denial in my life. Mm. And so, like I deny me th myself things, I don't deny, I don't have any denial in my subconscious, right? But I, I figured out to me that the denial isn't actually about me saying no to things, it's about what kind of doors can I open by excluding this from my life. I'm an easy guy to be around sometimes, but sometimes I'm not because I'm incredibly demanding about the art and the work that we do, but that's the only thing I'm demanding about. Hmm. In the rest of my life, I'm not judgmental about anybody in the way they are, I don't give a shit, live your life, man. Live mm -hmm. your life, sister, mm -hmm. I don't care, mm -hmm. be, be mm -hmm. you, be you. Um, I have a lot of friends who do good things and I have a lot of friends who don't do good things and maybe I've been one of those friends on both sides over the years, right? And I don't judge them because everybody's got their own story to tell them. My job is not to make you, my job is not to tell you how to be better. My job is to be me and if maybe this works for you, come on board, right? So I'm not an overly judgy person in that respect but through all of that kind of practice, it prevents me from being cynical because I don't, because what's the option? Like, it's beautiful. Mm, it's good. You know what screws me well, up? Well, I mean, if you got love and gratitude as, a, you know, your bumper sticker. I say it out loud a yeah, lot. Yeah. Well, that's the practice. That's yes. almost the Buddhist, like, Zen-like yeah. sort of meditative practice of it, yeah. right? You do, you kind of, I think you kind of do have to remind yourself. Because the spiral downwards can come pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. And you can, and you can lose control in 30 minutes. You know, the, the, I don't know what the female brain is like, but I know what the male brain is like. It, one hour. Is, is how long it takes for the male brain to hit a pit that is almost impossible to get out of. I'm like, I'm not going there. 
not going there. And if I get there, I had this really interesting thing happen. I had a bunch of motors, well, not interesting to anybody else, but to me. <laughs> I had a bunch of motorcycle accidents and hockey accidents, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of concussions. So I started to suffer from... It's becoming crystal clear. Yes, that's right. I've had a lot of pretty hardcore post-concussion <laughs> syndromes. And because I know it won't kill me, I've embraced it. So mm. when I go through pits, I don't think of it like... I don't give my negative brain any validation. I treat it like a sprained ankle. Hmm. I'm like, hmm. yes, it sucks. Hmm. But it's a sprained ankle. It will come back. It won't be as strong as it was before. I wish I had just broken my ankle. <laughs> right. But it's a sprained ankle. And this is the kind of work that I do in my head all the time, just to save me either from myself or from cynicism. And I learned a long time ago. It's one reason why I go to California so much, man. People think they're like, oh, you go to LA because it's LA and it's whatever Hollywood. Like, nah, bro, it's because it's sunny. And I learned from my mood, sun makes a huge difference. And I know everybody feels that way, but it really makes a difference for me. So, you know, we were joking, but I'm like, I gotta be in Toronto for 21 days, 20 days. That is 20 days of gray. No thanks. No thanks. <laughs> Don't That's lie. how you manage your time. Self how many days yeah. of gray? If I'm not gonna take medication, you know what I'm gonna take? Sun. Yeah. Give me yeah. vitamin D. Yeah. And it good. makes a big difference in my life. Did you learn to listen because you've been able to step inside of so many other people's stories? Is that where you became a good listener? Or do you think that was kind of, uh, was that a genetic, was that neurons firing? Was that a genetic gift? Or well, is that something you learned? I think when I was really little, I was raised by a single mother, as you know, and my mother would uh, take part-time work. She worked for a group called Manpower, a temp agency. So she would get, sometimes she'd get a job during the morning shift and sometimes in the afternoon shift and she'd come meet me for lunch, but she didn't, couldn't afford a babysitter or any of that. So what she would do is she would, uh, in the morning she would drop me off at the uh, Etobicoke Public, the Albion Library. Right. And she'd drop, me well. off, yeah, she'd drop me off in the library and she would tell, ask the librarians not to let me leave. I mean, I'm talking, like I was nine, eight, seven, six years old. I'm in the library by myself. Um, sometimes my sister would be with my grandmother, sometimes as she got older, my sister would be with me. So she, now I didn't know I wasn't allowed to leave until later, but the librarians would keep checking up on me and handing me books, so I would just sit and read. And that was my, that was my, my life. She'd pick me up for lunch, um, and then after lunch she would take me just down the street from the Albion Library, was a, uh, I think it was called Central Park Lodge. It was a senior citizen's home. Mm -hmm. She knew somebody in there uh, called Miss Buckle. And she would say to me, we'd go say hi to her friend, and then she would say to me, now go down the hall and find somebody who's alone and be their friend. She, and I was shy, but she said, Great story, man. it's true. This she, is an awesome story. She said, that person there has lived a life you've never, you'll never have. They went through the war, they're a widower, whatever find somebody and be there for them because mm -hmm. there's only value. She essentially said in this world, it only matters if you're there for other people. Mm. And I didn't want to do it. I was shy. I was like, I didn't want to do it. But as a kid, we did it quite regularly. Jimmy mm. was my guy, World War II vet. Jimmy was my guy, a uh, much older guy, and um, senior citizen's home. And he would just tell me stories and we would talk. And he would tell me about what it was like coming to Canada um, from the UK over the, uh, you know, on an ocean liner. And stories that I couldn't comprehend at that age, you know. And I know it sounds crazy to say, but like, yes, with the internet, you can know everything. But it's amazing how much we didn't know. Oh, yeah. You yeah. couldn't possibly have ever learned yeah. any of this shit unless you taught, not even from reading a book, because yeah. it was written by yeah. the, the academic perspective, usually from a, um, a colonizer's perspective. Sure, yeah. When you actually meet somebody in a senior citizen's home who... Who lived it. Yeah. Who, who tasted it, who, who felt it. Yeah, who yeah. was in Italy when Mussolini was on Hitler's side and then shifted. Yeah. Like to learn what that's like, and that's the kind of stuff I learned as a kid. I think that's where I learned well, how to you be know, a listener. I, I've, always, I, I've always loved you as an interviewer, and I, 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 I always got the sense that you were, you were excited. Yeah. about what was about to happen, yeah. right? Yeah, wow, we, get, we got to meet. And not because you're some sort of stargazer, mm -hmm. but because this was an opportunity yeah. to step into this whole other world. And, and I know that your interviews were often edited down, I would imagine, yeah. to what, eight or nine minutes or something? Yeah. They were pretty nine to 12, but eight to 12, but we would do 30 minutes. That's right, yeah. you would do, yeah. do, do much longer. Um, and, and I think I've found that with, with doing the podcast now, 300th interview, again, Amazing. by the way, thanks for saying yes no. to it. It's crazy, I don't know where it's taking me, but I love every minute of it and the opportunity I mean, I, I see it as a real privilege, and I've always, and I think I, I think I've taken that from you to some degree. Well, it is a privilege to take you. It is a privilege to be in the heads of others, man. Yeah. For people to share, for sure. 
It and also, I think the only way you can really access it, and to, it's so arrogant to say that I can step into your head and into your, yeah. you know, and empathize with you yeah. in a real, true no, but fashion. You can. But you can to some degree. And the more I listen, the closer I get. It yeah. seems to me. People are the same. Like people are generally the same. When I was interviewing people, you could you could put them into two like, you put them into two categories to start: tired or exhausted. Which one are you? <laughs> and once you know that. That person's tired or exhausted, yeah. I'm tired or exhausted. Yeah. Now that yeah. opens a bunch of yeah. doors, closes a bunch Good of doors, yeah. right? And every interview, your brain fires in a million different ways to sort of narrow down, here's how that other person can relate. Yeah. I'd be looking at people's, their hands, like half the time I'd be leaning forward, I'd be looking at the skin, and I could see if the skin changed. Mm. You could see if a- Like temperature if, yeah. changes, you or they're getting a, worked up. If a red splotch happens on their neck when I'm going through a certain line of questioning, you could see pupils dilate. That's one reason why we had those chairs so close, which was, we're in it now, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're in yeah it. This is a face, it's face yeah. to face, yeah, it's eye to eye, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we angled our chairs, so we had to look at each other. Yeah. And I remember even the network was like, you know, how about the audience? We're like, no, 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 come on board. I'm a big believer in meet the audience halfway, but only halfway. I will not spoon feed you. And that's why I don't want to have a traditional network show. I don't want to do the things that one has to do to have a traditional career over till I retire. Because I don't want to retire, but I I don't want to do the shit that doesn't feel real to me, right? And is it, there is there room for a show like that now? Do you think? Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I think it's online. I think it's interesting. Digital. Yeah, yeah. web web based. Yeah, I, I mean I. You know, because it's cheaper to produce, or because there's a bigger audience. I think or? it's where people are. I think it's you fish with the people. You fish where there are fish. So I'm watching right? a film right now, Tickling Giants. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Uh, I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So it's a producer from uh, John Stewart show, yeah. and uh, about an Egyptian surgeon who became a comedian. Yes, that's right. Who became the John Stewart of Egypt. Thirty million viewers. Right. Right. They're mostly online. Enough. Probably. Enough said. Yeah. Right. Million, yeah. I posted. John Stewart, I think, was about two million a show. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. I, I posted a Chris Cornell interview I did. I did the interview like eight years ago after he passed. Posted on Facebook. In one day, it was 130,000 views. Wow, yeah, it's pretty and incredible, eh? That's just on one channel. Like, if you start adding it up, that thing is going to get to a quarter of a million views by the week. Probably by, it's probably there now. And, and by Canadian numbers, by the way. Yeah, that's, sure. that's yeah. equivalent of That's millions. pretty big. Yeah. yeah. So, this is a benefit of globalization, it seems yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's if we're all going to be connected. The so, downside is we now know what people think. Twitter <laughs> is yeah, Twitter is a great example of why. You know, people are like, oh, democratize the technology. Really? Are you sure? You sure you want that? Because yeah. now, like, yeah. on my Facebook page, the comments that people leave are astonishing. I, I bet people that I know. Right. Not just like right. random asshole like, in his like house, a, but like people a, I know. Like offensive stuff, would you say? Or just like... Yes. <laughs> like shocking, intellectually bankrupt, morally absurd wow. commentary. Yeah. I've seen people. little bits of business here and there. I mean, I was, you know, as you know, it's been a fair bit of time on stage myself. And you, you kind of take all your criticism with a certain... you got to oh, yeah. take it with a grain of salt. And yet it's still... I, yeah. And I don't mind if people say it to me. Right. It's when they say it just about like right. Muslims. Or women. Right, right. Oh, I see. Yeah. They're making cracks about yeah. others because of something you said or yeah. an interview that if you I, had. I, or, I, I'm yeah. very, yeah. very in favor of the International Women's March, obviously. I am astonished that anybody wouldn't. Right. I'm okay with people What's like... What's the downside? Yes. I, okay, you're Republican, you're Democrat, I'm neither. Yeah. You're liberal, you're a conservative, yeah. and NDP, I'm not. I'm none of them. Um, you're pro-life, you're pro-choice, you're pro-whatever. Yeah. Everybody has opinions. And two legs. Right. <laughs> But you have a well, problem with... Well, everybody doesn't have two legs, but everyone could walk for, yeah. you know, for you, the most part. It's like people like... Join in. When I posted things about equal pay, the comments I would get about equal pay for women, I was thinking, what? What do you mean? Like, yeah. you've now... But then, because of having done this job for so long and, and, and thinking about humans the way I do, is I started to go, okay, now what are the reasons why you would be that way? Right. Where do you come from? Where did it fail you? Like that's why I do this joke on the show about Mother's Day and Father's Day, which is I wish it to the good mothers and to the good fathers, because a lot of you raised some bad kids, man. Mm. A lot of you raised some bad kids, mm. and you did not deserve the credit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. get flowers today because yeah. yes. your kid yes. doesn't believe women should get yeah. equal pay. Somewhere that broke down. Right. Unless yeah. you're awesome and your kid just fucking fell off the path. I don't know. So 
So yeah, I, I think it's better that we have this than before. So George, can you change those people? Can you no. get to them? Can you can you plant seeds? What about Splash and Ripple at that point? What about the Rebellion? What about Music for yeah. Change and, and, and the World Food Program that you do some yeah. incredible work with? You and can. All those things. I think you can change things to a degree, but you can't change everybody. Mm. Like, you know, in every generation, there's that group of people in your neighborhood who are just terrible. They're always going to be there. What you try to do is is, you know, Cut them off at the pass. The kids who are on the way there. Right. Like it does come down to love and empathy when you're young. And exposure to an outside world. Mm. This is what it is. It's good. The the homophobes I know have never left their town. or never left their country. If you watch the Trump supporters who say those horrible things, those cross burners, those awful Klansmen, right? They've never left their country. They don't even have passports. and this idea that passports are expensive, not acceptable because you spend enough on beer today <laughs> to buy a passport, right? right? Life's about choices, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, uh, absolutely. And clearly the deck is stacked against many. I understand that. But you still have to make choices. And I, so those people you can't change. Yeah. You know, you hear these American History X stories of the one Klansman who now found the light. Right. Those right. guys are not interesting to me. Because I'm like, you know what, you've done so much damage in your life, you know, your sentence is anonymity. Right. I don't care. You don't get a redemption story in the public world. You've killed a lot of people. Good for you to have it between right. you and whatever. Sure. Yep. But I, I'm interested in those people who, like I was when I was young, who are kind of just not sure what their direction is. But even in my heart at the time as a kid, I knew what decency was. Mm. And mm. I knew when I was indecent. Mm-hmm. I was aware of it. Now that was my mother certainly raised me right. with a lot of that. So I don't think I think you can change a little bit. I think music is super powerful because, however, see, I guess what, what I'm trying to get to is I'm interested in why you and not somebody else. Why why do you have the love and gratitude bumper sticker? Yeah. And somebody else brought up in a similar environment doesn't. I'm imagining you know? it's it's just straight scientific luck. I'm mm. imagining that my brain chemistry allowed me to be open to this, and I'm lucky that like I went through all the good things and all the bad things that you read about any kid would go through. Yep. Um, some stuck more than others. Like, here's something that's happened to me now. I don't even get offended. Ever. Even if somebody intends to offend me, it doesn't bother me. Never has. Now, when someone would give me a hard time online about a show I was doing, it would annoy me. But in partly because I'm thinking about it strategically going, I don't need the narrative to be this. I need the narrative to be that. Like, it's <laughs> right. more, more practical Thinking business. like a producer. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. But if, like, some guy is like, you know, oh, you look like that guy wearing that suit, or you look like this one with that haircut. I'm always like, so? I don't take it personally. Right. I think a huge thing for me, and I don't know if this is, I'm sure it's true for a lot of people in this situation, I have all kinds of brash confidence, but I don't come from a place of ego. Because mm. I know it's luck. My brain chemistry, for whatever reason, I got lucky to be... I also got very lucky that my dad left. I think had my dad stayed, I would have hmm. had a different life. Interesting um, way to look so, at it. Yeah, I'm very thankful that that, that, that ended because I think Tom, a lot of guys I know who are screwed up, it's because, you know, and, and men and women, it's because their family situation. The role, the role models, the, yeah. the things you learn by, by default, basically. Yeah. They saw by living within that kind of a toxic environment. That's exactly it. Yeah. A lot of fighting in the house. Yeah. I remember fighting yeah. in the house when I was a kid, but then it ended. Yeah. And then from the age of seven... The only fights that happened in the house were with me and my mom, because, yeah. you know, regular kid grown up shit. So I didn't grow up in a toxic environment in the home, and I think that's the key factor. My mom would take, had, three, had three jobs uh, in the, to, to make ends meet. I mean, she used to deliver a newspaper in the morning first, but she was always home for when we, got, we woke up to go to school, mm. and she was always home when we came home from school. Because mm. her thing was, mm. you're never coming home to an empty house. Right. And she would verbalize it. I think, think by saying it over and over again, it's well, just Well, you know, if you think about it, it's quite the metaphor. Yeah. Kids, emotional... I mean, kids are really resilient. I think yeah. I've learned that. I think we, we're living proof of it, all of us yes. sitting in the room here. But coming home to an empty house is a pretty crummy metaphor. Yeah. If you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> now I crave it. Here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't live with anybody ever again it's because cold. I come home. <laughs> There's no food. There's nobody to meet me. Where's yeah. the dog? Yeah. Right? There's all that stuff that just becomes a part of... I did, I did a recent trip to Cambodia and I, I miss my family more than ever. And I think part of the problem is I travel on my own. I'm yeah. getting older. I'm becoming a little bit more of an old fart. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like no matter how busy I was during the day, I was still having a drink or dinner by myself. Yep. Yeah at 7.30 at night. Yeah. Yes, I can access by Skype, but there was something about that yeah. love and gratitude, that grace, that community that was missing. 
Yeah, I, right? you need it. Empty house. You need right? it. Now empty, I love empty hotel room. Now yeah. I want the empty house. <laughs> this is the change in me. Now I want them. But that's so, why I don't have kids. <laughs> so because everything comes back to you too. Yeah, it always um, does. It always does. You've talked about luck a couple of times. Yeah. And doesn't Bono say something about an accident of geography with yeah. respect to why he does the work that he does? Yeah. Why he wants to turn a YouTube show into something political, into something yeah. social, why yeah. they write the music they yeah. do. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about in relation to others, there in, is in no, relation to poverty and need and so on, and social change? no greater influence on my life in terms of how to behave when you have a platform than Bono. There is no greater hmm. impact on my life. Um, people love to rip him. They really do. I read a really negative yeah. article I recently want, about, when, about when, them. When I hear that and I read that, I yeah. think, what have you done today, sir? <laughs> yes. How many lives have you saved? Because I actually know, having talked to the world leaders as well, interviewing them, Yes. The, I've talked to world leaders who've said, Bono pushed it over the edge. Wow. So yeah. this yeah. many yeah. people, these it's many women get medication because a guy like Bono shows up. And the people, the, you brought up the word cynical earlier. I don't read reviews anymore. I don't care. I don't read any of that stuff because all it is is somebody trying to get over on somebody else's art, right? And they're so cynical all mm -hmm, the time. Mm -hmm. I love critical thought, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I don't love cynicism. And I don't, it's like, you know, how this generation, you know, and it happened actually in our generation, but they don't know the difference between um, uh, when people go, they don't know what literal means. Right. It's now, people don't know what the difference is between cynical and critical thinking. And everybody's trying so hard to be cool. And while they're over here trying to be cool, writing articles, about you two giving a free record, Bono's over there saving the world. These are the same people that stole music online for, for a generation. <laughs> stole it. That's right. We're yeah. indignant about stealing yeah. it. Yes, yes. And then the band gave them one for yeah. free and they were mad. And then they said, well, I didn't opt in. I said, bullshit, you clicked accept on the user yeah, agreement. Yeah, you yeah. did opt in. You think I opted in for a Molson Canadian billboard or a, some stupid, I didn't opt in for my, yeah. my city to be yeah. turned into billboards everywhere. I didn't opt into that, yeah. but I'm not burning that shit down. This band gave you a free record that yeah. you were gonna steal anyway. That you were gonna steal yeah. anyway, yeah. So yeah. it's just like. So funny. The, the criticism of you two, you can criticize a band and say, I don't like the music. Good for you, that's about taste. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure this yeah. is this approach to how to celebrity and fame, yeah. there is nobody better and there has never been anybody yeah. better, save for maybe Woody Guthrie, you mm. know, and what he did in the Dust Bowl era. Bono is, and the band, and the band really are who powers him and he knows it, but he is this force, like, it's the greatest lead singers of all time. People talk about, you know, Mick Jagger, yeah. you know, Robert Plant, 100% for sure, Aretha, for sure, Nina. So start going through in the rock band, certainly the white rock band yes, yep, of the yep. 60s and 70s, but really the 70s on. Who are they and what have they done outside of their own fame? Mm, what have they done? Good. And then you look at what Bono's done and go, oh. Well, it seems to me a there's a responsibility there, I think. Well, right? I would like to think there is anyway. I think that responsibility should be for every human. Yeah, yes. fair enough. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, if you're going to be gifted this, 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 experience of being able to live the world on your terms yeah like they have well I think one of the really generous things they do and I think it's really authentic at the end of pretty much I've seen them since 87 since the Joshua Tree tour and uh, $200 a ticket back mm -hmm. then I went on a yeah. date that was an expensive night Who'd you go 87 with? five it was like $500 night is oh that not God. insane um, but anyway yeah and the woman in front of me uh, her head was on the chair the whole night she she uh, drank too much so she puked the whole show and her boyfriend's like yeah she did this at Floyd too <laughs> it, it, it was hilarious that's so 80s never I love forget it. it we were like 30th row yeah. unbelievable show they're right? the best yeah. they're yeah. the best yeah. also here's the other thing that I, and again I look at the world not just from what's on the surface but I look through all these different layers and I'm sure many do but it's the same four guys since mm. the 70s mm. It's the same four guys. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. That's it's, a testament, right? In it's, itself, the, the, the passion yeah, and the commitment. Unparalleled. To, to the cause, but also to each other. I heard a story once yeah. that the to each other part, I think, is what makes it so special. Yeah. There was this um, great story, and we used to joke about it because Lars from Metallica, this used to drive him crazy that you two could do this. Uh, on the Zoo TV tour, so they toured the world for a year and a half straight. It was a long tour. Long yeah. tour. Like, five shows a week for a year and a half, enough to kill the average person, yes. right? Yeah. And they went hard for a year and a half. When the tour ended, I think it was Bono and Larry flew to New York, rented a car, and just road trip together, 
as friends at yeah, the end of 18 months together. Yeah, that's crazy. Right? They did that. In part, it was so they could decompress so before they went back to their homes. Um, but they traveled together. And even now, and he's told me this, they'll, they'll do this long, long tour. Bono will get a house in the south of France, and the Edge will rent the house right next door. Right. And it drives other bands crazy, because yeah. they're like, how do you stay friends? <laughs> yeah. That's the real thing who this band is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the records. I like every record they put out. Some songs resonate with me more. Yeah, sure. But who they are as a force, the Beatles didn't do this, Zeppelin didn't do this, maybe on, on their level, The Clash. And they were the real turning point for me was The Clash. Interesting, okay. The Clash were the band that said, no, the world, man. It's about the world. The Pistols were about the world, right? And you two are about the world. So I don't equate, you know, when I think about you two, to me they're not the continuation of the Beatles or the Stones. They're the continuation of The Clash. They're the, you know, that, as he said, the garage band from Garage. Great line and in Invisible. There is no them, there's only us. Yes. And I think that's really, uh, uh, I mean, I'm a, a fan. I'm not like a, I'm a pretty crazy fan, yeah. I suppose, but not, you know, not yeah. the over the top, kind of waving two and a half hour lineup for yeah. an autograph fan. Yeah. But still, I, I, and I'm with you. I think, I think that uh, they've, they've, they've really, uh, I don't know, they've shown, using their celebrity wisely. Yeah. Right, and, and it's freedom. We're back to freedom, choice, and responsibility. Yeah. It seems to me. What do you do with um, the opportunity given to you? Seventeen years ago, I'm coming back. Seventeen, maybe sixteen. I don't know the date. Uh, maybe two thousand one. I'm coming back from the UK, couple yeah. day trip. I'd popped in a, a VHS tape to tape the U2 interview that was going to be on Much Music, uh -huh. and I grab some uh, takeout food on the way home from the airport, and I come in and I pop it in, and I'm getting shivers. Who's there sitting interviewing U2? George yeah. Strombolopoulos. You two does blew, much. Blew me, blew me away. Do you remember the phone call? I tracked yeah. you down. Yeah, yeah, I do remember I tracked that. you yeah, down yeah, through Actually, Rome, yeah. and yeah. We, ta we talked for about 90 minutes, yeah. and it was awesome. I and remember I was that, yeah. That was, I mean, not only, to me, you just, the, 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 you, it, spoke, it spoke to the community that they're working in and working on, yeah. and, and same for you. It was, uh, that's the interview that I think, because I went up there with no notes, <laughs> right? And normally in those much interviews, the way we do it, they were called, uh, it was, the, the reason it was called U2 Does Much and not an intimate and interactive was because the INIs had a format and a formula, hmm. which was you did an interview, then you took phone calls, you took faxes, right? right. right? That, faxes. Right, faxes, phone fax and email, right? That's hilarious. And emails came later. U2 didn't want to, they said, no, 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 we're not going to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Just the interviewer. Nice. So I had, I, I mean, I wrote down some thoughts. Yeah. So the night before the concert, I just wrote notes on my arm. Oh, wow. Before I felt, you know, before I, during the show, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's with a, my wow. producer. George has a lot of text-based yeah. tattoos. Dude, my arm, my arm was, and I fell asleep <laughs> at night. This is before camera phones. I couldn't take a photo of it. So I fell asleep. I woke up, took a shower, washed most of it off. Oh, no. But yeah. it was in my, but it was, I absorbed it. And yeah, I sat funny. down with Tanya Natchev, who's a producer of that with me, and we just talked a bit about it and went, okay, well, why don't we just not worry about anything except for what matters, mm. which are themes which really this comes down to loyalty and service because duty, nice, nice. duty. Yeah, loyalty and service is great. Yeah, yeah it's good. And that's, and that's what I did with them. And that's when, uh, that's when it seemed to go really well. That, movie, that moment was such a high. Like that moment oh. was as... Come on, it was awesome. Clear it was headed. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was really fun. That was and just before 9-11. I think that just, was... It was April 2001. I'm, I'm, elevation, yes. elevation. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because then 9-11 yeah. happened. Yeah. And... Uh, no, no, it was just before. Yeah, it was just before, wasn't it? No, was it just after? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. I should have looked it up. Before Maybe it was before I can't remember. Yeah, because I remember they carried that tour on during 9/11. I went to see them a right. bunch of times. I saw him at Cops Coliseum uh, just yeah. post. It was like yeah, a that, few months after. So loyal. That's the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. I think. That the, show. That Cops Coliseum show just after 9/11, yeah. when every band canceled every tour. Yep. And U2 went on yep. the road, and Bono, and they the names the, the names wall. of all the victims went up. Holy cow. Walk and I was on. in the heart. Walk, Walk on, on, baby. Walk crack. on. That was yeah. crazy. I know. Yeah. Okay, right so now heart. maybe we are kind of like yeah. um, crazy fans. Yeah. Is that, yeah? Well, listen, if we're going to support good things, that's okay. <laughs> that's right. So loyalty and service. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about WFP. And you're, you're, a, you're a Canadian ambassador. Yes, it appears, yes. Of, of, of more than, of many things, I think. I work with the World but, Food Program. Yeah, I work with Artists for Peace and Justice. I work with the Princess Trust Charities in Canada. Um, and to do some stuff with the One campaign as well through Bono. Yeah. Yeah, and is that is that? Are you, so are you like me, arrogant enough to think that you can change no, the world? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't even think you're arrogant. No, no. 
I don't think I can change the world at all. I think what I can do is fill up my time doing stuff that's better than the other things I would do. So celebrity, for lack of, and I don't have celebrity, I have profile, because that's what it's like in Canada. But profile, for lack of a better word, like... Every entertainer listening to this interview yeah. right now just laughed at loud. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So that celebrity is profile. What happens is people shine a light on you, right? Mm. And a lot of people mm. shine a light on you. And I kind of look at it like, if you don't turn yourself into a mirror and reflect that light to where it needs to be shone on, that light's just gonna burn you up. So you need to become not a source for light, because that's not what you, know, you can be if you want, but um, I can help shine a light in certain areas. I have enough of a social that's media good. following. If I have enough of a social media following, then I can, I can get people to know about this thing happening in this country. You know, I'll also tell you what record I think you should hear. I'll also tell yeah, you if sure. I think that that ref blew that call. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but if I don't, not just me, but if, if you as a person who have some kind of profile and an audience or a platform, if you don't shine that light on other places where the shadows are, um, then you will burn up. Or you'll believe the light is your birthright. And it is not. And it goes away. And it should go away. Um, Diane Ackerman says in A Natural History of the Senses that the purpose of art is to shine light in the darkness. Oh, it's pretty cool, eh? Uh, that's I just it. got this idea yep. of a corner and you yep. got this little spotlight, rattle and hum-like spotlight. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that, another YouTube yes. reference. Perfect. Um, yeah, also, yeah. I like rattle and hum. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I like rattle and hum. Are we like the two people in the world that liked it? I think because you and I are dreamers. And I think yeah, that's the secret. If you're a dreamer, I think you combine a rattle and hum because you could see what they were going for. I respected that a lot. Um, yeah, you have to, man. Otherwise, you get so many breaks. You get so many breaks that you will start to think like you deserve them. Do you have, to, George? We're going to have to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Listen, I want. I, we don't have to wrap it up, but I'm here. I'm hoping we can do part two down yeah, the road. For but sure. but um, do you have to have hope? I mean, I, I've always had this sense from you: radio, uh, the hour, the interviews, uh, the U two interview, all of that. There's you. You really. There's a sense of joy there yeah. for you. There's this, I'm, I'm present, I'm here. This, is, this, this makes sense to me. These are my people yeah. and this makes perfect sense. And aren't we all trying to get to that space? It seems to find our way back home yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Um, do you have to have hope? I don't know. That's do you a, have to have hope? That's like a you? good question. I thought about this. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a hopeful person. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think I, we joke that I'm a positive nihilist. Um, <laughs> like I think this is all useless and that's fine. Right. You know, I don't have the afterlife in my, in my mm -hmm. mindset, so this is it. So I assume I don't think about hope because, I, you know what, here's what I think. I think hope is a self-motivation factor, right? So people use hope like gasoline in cars. You know, I need hope to help me fuel this decision. Mm -hmm. I don't need anything to fuel it. I, the doing of it is, what's, is what fuels me. Right. The sense of duty is what I need. I don't need the fuel source for that. Um, in fact, I don't require fuel because I don't have ambition. I have a drive. I don't know where it comes from. Hmm. Like, I yeah. want to make stuff. I have sure. creative ambition for sure. Sure, but sure, yeah. I don't need to be recognized. Maybe it's because I've had it, but even before I had it, like, I never, when I was working in radio in the early 90s, never in a million years that I think that this was gonna be my career. Not only that, I didn't even go after it. I didn't even chase it. It just sort of happened because of the work I was doing. Right. To take it back to Bono, there's this funny line. He said this to me one night that he had asked a guy, a priest, he says, God, how do I get God to bless my work? And the priest said to him very matter-of-factly, why don't you find out where God is currently working and chances are it's already blessed. Like, mm. stop making it about you. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. For me, same thing, minus the God part, but it's like, it's, I don't need motivation because I don't care about why I'm doing it. I don't need hope because hope is for, is for me. I don't need me in the equation. I just need to be a servant of whatever, mm. to do the mm. duty, you know? You know, when I went to Standing Rock, I remember, you know, saying to one of the elders, you know, use me, use me. That's what I'm here for on this earth. I'm here to be used for positive. So you get recharged in the doing. But I'm, yeah, maybe I don't ever yet recharge because I don't ever lose my charge. Hmm. That's hmm. the thing. Hmm. The one physiological blessing I've been given is I have um, energy. I yeah, have energy. I, I mean, we could dig another time, but I, want, I wonder if that's hope on some level. Maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, and I don't think it's a semantic thing either. I think it's a, 
Like, if you don't need recharge, it's amazing. Yeah, right? I don't that's need pretty it. remarkable. Like, I know how to be tired and I get yeah, sick. Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah, all that tired stuff and sure. exhaustion, right? For sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that all the time. For sure. Um, you know what? Here's the thing. This is going to sound so so basic, which is so true, but it really is me. I'm trying to create a life where I do the kinds of things that I feel like you know I've done my part. Mm-hmm. Not for me, but it's like like I'm not I'm not I don't want to be poisoning the earth, you know, right. intellectually yeah. or even you know like literally. So how can I do things that don't poison the earth? If I've done that, cool. Now how can I do things that create positive change? Because not because I want to, but because I think that's my I think that's what we how we have to do as an us. The next part is. How can I do all that in such an efficient way that I can do what I really want to do, which is just ride a motorcycle around the world and not talk to anybody, which is really what I want because I spend most of my time, David. There's no money in that, George. No, I know. Tell me about it. In fact, it costs a lot. Um, I spend most of my non-working hours watching motorcycle and camping stuff on YouTube. Like That's literally what I watch. I don't watch TV. I yeah. watch hmm. YouTube and I watch camping. I watch shows on my iPad when I'm traveling or whatever, but I watch... People experiencing the world. Adventure is what mm, moves me. Mm, it's good. People so experiencing it's the world, man. I mean, yeah. we're kind of coming back full circle to how you were raised. Yeah. And I mean, I always love that kind of tie-in, that, uh, that's, that's, that, in, that embrace. I mean, I'm always looking for ways of communicating this idea of change, splash and ripple effect. How do you plant seeds? I mean, yeah. I'd like to think we're hopeful. Hopeful cynic is how I describe myself. Yeah. But Jane but, Goodall's Roots and Shoots is good at that. Mm, Roots and mm. Shoots with the Jane Goodall Foundation Institute, they... They get young kids involved. Yeah, you really want to plant seeds of change, man. You got to get young girls. Yeah, young yeah. girls change will change the world. Young boys are very important. I get it. Yeah, yeah, but for sure, for sure. Young girls, man. It's not either or, but they're really they're really yeah. key to this. You know, we went down to Zambia during one of the real, 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 uh, real crisis, heartbreaking things with uh, HIV/AIDS and the pandemic. Um, the window of hope are thirteen-year-old girls. Hmm. How do we protect them? Educate them. Protect them. Educate them. Protect the boys, educate the boys. Yep. But one of the things you have to educate the boys down there is to protect the women yep. and educate the women, right? Yep. And this is stuff that I was very lucky. I was like 28 years old when I went down there. And hmm. you know, seeing that stuff firsthand, yeah. I got to interview the busiest man in Lusaka. The busiest man in Lusaka was the man that built the coffins. Wow. That, That's a sobering moment. Yeah. If you're, if you're a present human being, that doesn't just pass by. Right, right. You're there. Yeah. And it's, okay, so now we know, so how do we fix that? Well, we fix it this way, this way, this way. I'm just a tool, right? Yeah. So how can I be the, the right kind of tool? And, uh, well, I, I have a particular skill set, which is I am unflappable, and I am uh, generally pretty positive, right? So that's a skill in this era. So, okay, put me to work. It's good. Yeah. I don't have Tell kids, too. Right? I think if people have kids and families, that's harder. Like, it's because right. you have other responsibilities. Sure. yeah. I don't have that. Yeah, Mine is yeah. to make sure my suspension and brakes are good on my bike and then doing the work. That's well, really it. If you want to change the world, raise um, children that have a good understanding of what their choices are yeah. and, and freedom and what, yeah. what are their responsibilities and a sense of the other, right? And that there's similarity through difference, not the other way around. No. Right? No. And this is... So we're going to wrap up. Tell us about House of Strombo. I love what I'm hearing. It sounds fantastic. I need to come and see. You have to come see it. Yeah. Yeah. And people listening should come see it. Uh, Turn my living room into, uh, call it the congregation. Nice. Right? (laughs) What I gained from my mother, what I really learned from my mother, she applies it to spirituality, to religion, and I apply it to music, which is I I have a real heavy sense of fervor. Right. And I have fervor about music. So I was lucky enough to work at CFNY and at Much Music where the studios were on the street and the audience was able to come in and be close to the band but be close to me. That doesn't exist anymore in Canada, really, in Toronto. You can't really do that. So I'm from that era where you where, where my expectation is, but if I have this band that changes people's lives, why wouldn't the people get to meet them? Right. Why wouldn't I want to share that. Yeah. yeah. So I just decided to do it in my living room. Uh, I have this really amazing team who do most of the work and we bring bands in and it's wild man. That's fantastic. When the cult came Get a little mini stage the whole work? No, no, it's my living room. It's on my floor. Like it's on my floor. Yeah, it's honestly, we have moments where I'll be be sitting in the kitchen leaning up against the the counter talking to Ian Asbury from the cult or talking to Scott Weiland uh, about eight, eight months a year before he passed 
Elvis Costello, mm. James Hetfield from Metallica, Peaches, Diana Krall was, so I have a piano, I play piano. Diana Krall came into my house the other day. We were gonna do the interview upstairs. She's like, let's do it by the piano. I went, okay. And she just plays the piano. Yeah. And so, and then we bring people in. And so cool, man. It's really interesting what happens when you take away all the conventions of, of traditional media. Hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to be raised. Uh, every generation thinks they're special. I don't think we're special. But I think that we were afforded in a couple of opportunities that don't exist anymore, which is I was raised in the era where I respected what All in the Family was. Right. I knew All in the Family, but I knew what Spike Lee, what Spike Lee meant. I know what Kubrick is, and I know who Tarantino is. And I don't say who Kubrick, but what he is, like mm -hmm, what he meant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I come from the generation that respects The Tonight Show. Right. Yep. And loves that crazy shit Action Bronson is doing online when he gets stoned and watches Ancient Aliens. So I'm the middle generation. That's where you are too. We're in that yeah, group, yep, right? Yep. That puts us in a really good spot today. My friend Mako and I and Jeff Merrick had a show on the first internet radio station in Canada in the mid-90s. People never even heard of it. It was called Virtually Canadian. I think Molson sponsored it, and that's why it was called Virtually Canadian. It became Iceberg, which was sponsored, by, I think bought by Standard, which they even existed on satellite hmm. radio now. Hmm. It all comes from this mid-90s, 96, I think I was on the air there, 95, 96. Yeah, 95, 96, an internet radio station. So we were on the air. We were, I was doing conventional radio one night of the week, and doing internet radio the next night, and then I was doing college radio the next afternoon. So I had a crash course in how to like know the rules, but then how to break them. Right. And so the, the house show, the House of Strombo thing is, like there is nobody more experienced in this country than our team at making this kind of stuff. See some of these cats have shot much music stuff. One of the guys, uh, just want a Peabody for his hip-hop documentary. Like this is, we have decades of experience. It's awesome. But every single one of us approaches it, like what's the most revolutionary way, right? How can we be progressive? How can it be different? Like I like what we're doing, but I'm like, uh, what's, the, how, what's the thing that makes it ours? Like how do we make it that much more over the line? And this is the thing that makes that show so much fun is that when the audience shows up and knows they're not getting anything other than an experience that people poured their every ounce of their intellect and their hearts into. And the best bands come in, that's what makes me happy. It's once in a lifetime kind of it experience is. for a lot of people, I yeah. would imagine. I mean, that's, uh, that's something you're gonna, you're gonna point back to. You're gonna, tell, you're gonna tell stories about that day. There was a guy that, that I went evening. to high school with in Malton called, called Brian. Brian and I used to obsess about the cult. We obsessed, I, I don't see Brian anymore, you know, yeah. high school. Yeah. yeah, We're on Facebook together. Yeah. We obsessed about the cult. Um, and a couple of years ago, I was at Coachella and it was three, four years ago, and backstage, I saw Ian Asprey from the cult. Right. I said, you gotta play my house. He said, sure. But I didn't have a house show at the time. I just said, you gotta play the house. Nice. And he's like, sure. And I was like, oh shit, I guess we better do this. So we started trying it, and then Ian, and then the cult plays the house. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I sent Brian a Facebook message, and I said, can you have Wednesday, take, I forget what day it was, can you take Wednesday off? He's like, I can. I said, you have to come to my house. I haven't seen him in, it's gotta be 15 it's years. cool, man. Yeah, and he shows up, because I said, dude, the cult's playing in my living room, and nobody spoke to me more about the cult than you. You need to be here for this. And to me, sharing that moment with him, it's, was, cool. it's the best. It's like, yeah, man. Well, what's beautiful about what you've, you're, I mean, you've already, in my mind, left this great legacy of, of dialogue and conversation and going a little deeper. And, and you're, 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 you're moving it forward by creating, a, I don't know, creating a new sense of community around music, which is pretty awesome, man. I mean, Thank House you. of Strive, it's just, I, I had no idea. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a hundred people hanging yeah. out at your house. Oh no, it's crazy. It's that's, crazy. That's it's a bit problematic. Food truck out front. Food I truck out. Yeah, but it was food truck for the first episode. We decided it was a little impersonal, so now we just said, "Well, just use my barbecue." So <laughs> because the food truck had broke down one day, and you're like we can't do it, my barbecue. Acceptable. Yes. It's I totally. <laughs> so my um, we had a tribe called Red Play. It was the funniest thing. The tribe called Red are playing, and I remember thinking, "Shit, I didn't even do the dishes. The place is." But okay, whatever. Yeah. And then a tribe called Red played. And during the concert, I looked back and there were a couple of people at the back of the house watching the concert doing the dishes. Doing the dishes. And I walked up and I said, what are you doing? She says, look, you had us in our house, in your house. It's the least we could do. And because the thing is, community is how you change the world. Yeah, there you go. Fact, there you right? go. There you go. Is the more That's of us it, that realize that we are better together than we are apart, yeah. um, that, is, that is it. And you can't, the world isn't even a thing to change, right? It's can you affect 
can this community improve in this way? Can you create a space for this person to have a better life or a better chance? You'll have so many wins and losses and you can't invest yourself in either. You just have to just do the work. Do the work. It's good, man. I, I hate, I really hate the fact that we have to come to the end of this interview. I don't have to go anywhere, but you probably have to cut it. You know? we, we should probably cut it for the, yeah. for the, uh, the sanity of our listeners. Um, George Strombolopoulos with us here today. House of Strombo, um, CBC Radio 2, 8 to 11 on Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. uh, seating but, for 100 only. Yeah. Well, uh, it's usually the 130 show up sometimes. Okay, yeah. okay. Nice. Um, and it's really kind of really casual. Uh, but if you go to YouTube.com, I think it's The Strombo Show, isn't it? YouTube.com slash The Strombo Show or something. That's where you'll see all the stuff. Perfect. So, George, thanks a bundle, man. Dude, I really, really appreciate it. It's pleasure to see you. Yeah, yeah thanks. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.